You're about to enter the world of On the Cusp. The intense language used here requires that you put your brain in pause, place your watch next to the microwave, and experience a different level of mind diffusion. Now sit down, grab your coffee, buckle up, and enjoy what is about to happen and coming your way. What you are listening to is On the Cusp. Dr. Taft, thank you for taking the time to speak with us and spend some time uh, with Mo and I. I really, I, I've been looking forward to uh, to this to this conversation. I I was actually going to take a break earlier, and I said, you know what, I I can't wait. I I, I just got to get started. So <laughs> I've been waiting. I've been sitting here for like the last twenty minutes, waiting to begin this conversation. Well, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm deeply honored to to be a part of this conversation. So <clears throat> thanks so much. Ramon and Mo for the opportunity. So, um, thanks for joining us. Thank you, thank you, uh, Dr. Taft. Um, one of the things that I uh, uh, that I'm interested in is is what is basically what is the process when you when when you joined the Navy, you became a dentist, but then you joined the Navy afterwards, not not after, not before you graduated, right? So, so let me let me just kind of build into that story because it changes over time. And with my luck, you know, obviously things always change. So what happened before is not necessarily always going to be true. In the military, they base a lot of their sessions, their scholarship programs, anything and everything as it relates to bringing people in or inboarding on numbers. And at one time, uh, where the numbers of professionals, whether they be dentists, physicians, nurses, whatever it may be, when the numbers are very, very low, then what they do is they offer these scholarship programs that will pay for you to go to school for training. And then it's typically a year-for-year payback. So if you go to a four-year program, you owe four years. Uh, so those those are called health profession scholarship programs. And they were in play until I was going to dental school. And when I was going to dental school, they had enough people in the military, so they stopped their scholarship programs. So even if I wanted to join in advance of being a dentist, uh, there was no opportunity for that. So I came in under what they called an alternate program or 1925I. And that is, is that, you know, towards the end of your time in training, and for me, dental school, they allow you to raise your hand and become an inactive reservist. And at that point, they're not paying for anything. They're not, you don't have any types of benefits other than you are gaining time. And that's time towards retirement. That's it. Just time. So, and that's, that's what I did. So that's, that's how I came in the Navy and, and why you, if you talk to someone nowadays where our numbers are low, uh, most of the people that we get or sessions is the terminology that we call it are through scholarship programs. And, and that's a fairly good percentage of people that come into all the active duty services as, as dentists, nurses, physicians, and so on and so forth. Very few come under some other what they call entry scholarship programs. Financial assistance program is one that 
people that might be in a postgraduate training program and find out that, gee, you know, can the military pay for me for this postgraduate training? And that's a different program, has different requirements to get different monies. It's all very, very different. Were you thinking about staying at that time when you came into the military? Were you thinking about, this is it for me? I, I love the Navy. Kind of like Mo. Mo, Mo loved the, the Army, but he could not join Air Force. He could not join the Army, so he went into the Air Force. And he stayed there for a long time. So he retired. Uh, uh. So, you know, it's interesting. Throughout my entire career in the Navy, when I would go to these retirements, the first thing that someone would always say up there, you know what? When I first joined the Navy, uh, my only intention was to do the initial obligation, which typically is three to four years, and then call it a day. So I really went in, other than the fact that my father was in the Navy, but I, I had no prior experience or didn't know anyone that had been in the Navy, other than the fact is that I liked the water versus the desert versus other aspects that the other services uh, provided. And, and I like the training programs to the Navy. So I, I went in with the I went in with the intent of just doing whatever it was in my initial obligation. And I stayed till I was 34 years for for that reason. Wow. We can talk about wow. how I went past 30 and why, but um but I went in as a general practice residency program at Fort Smith, uh, Virginia. And it doesn't require, doesn't give you any type of additional obligation. It just allowed me um, an entry level, I should say, educational opportunity in a very complex environment. And from there, I I only owed three years beyond that. Mm -hmm. and so I just, uh, because it was so exciting and I really enjoyed what I was doing, and more importantly, the people that I was treating. You know, the other aspect, Ramon and Mo, is that the time that I was in, and it's not that I'm such an old codger here, but it was a cold war. We weren't in an active war uh, state that started with desert, desert Storm. So so pretty much, you know, we were dealing with, you know, the only type of trauma that we had was trauma that we inflicted on ourselves, whether it be through a, a work-related accident uh, or a, a vehicle accident that might have been associated with some aspect of, of not necessarily a, a good driving experience, whether it be someone else or, or yourself. I'm just thinking uh, what you said. I think it's really common and people have a plan. You know what? Going to do my three or four years, get the experience, and then move into the civilian sector. And it's it's always interesting to me the different reasons why people stay longer. You know, it's it's whether it's opportunity or people get in and just love it. They love what they're doing, love serving the country. That's 34 years. That's impressive. That I did 21, and wow. that that's uh, <laughs> um, At what point did you know? Was it the position you're in or where you were at, where, you know, where for me it was, I know I almost got out of 10 years um, and they said, you want to go to Hawaii? And I said, sure, let's go to Hawaii. So I, I but did you, did you have that moment where you, you knew you were going to stay well past 20? Well, that's a, you know, it's an interesting question because I think as any human being does in any type of environment, you always reassess, right? And you mm -hmm. reassess on an annual basis. Yeah. Uh, and when you're in a military and you are uh, on what you would consider a nonverbal contract, excuse me, what I mean by that is that if you say you PCS, every time that you move to a different duty station, 
you had to stay there for a minimum of two to three years. So that's what I consider a, a, a nonverbal contract. So instead of on a yearly basis, you may think about it on a yearly basis, but as you get close to the end of that time, you start to reassess, do I want to stay on and take another set of orders or do I want to exit? The interesting thing for me was, is that the way that my, my military career went, it seemed like every time I was, wherever I was, something unique happened that really excited me even more about what I was doing. It could have been as, as simple as after my GPR, when I went to the Philippines, I was the sole dental officer in a communication station called San Miguel. So it was me in one position, and we had 3,000 active duty people, contractors, and their families. It was an incredible opportunity to treat some very, like of a, home, a hometown experience, but with an active duty military component. And during that time frame, we had a real-time issue where we had a major accident that put six Marines in jeopardy that myself and the uh, medical officer were the only two healthcare professionals to provide the emergency support from a medical perspective as, as well as, I should say the dental perspective was, was minimal, but it was he and I doing most of the intubations you know, and, and all of the wound support. That experience made me feel extremely valuable for a bigger cause. And, I, and that's when I went home and said to my wife, you know, I, I think this is gonna be a little bit longer than we may think. <laughs> and we, it was always a team decision between her and myself and as we built our family, we always did the right thing to reassess. As long as the, the profession, I kept on getting excited about what I was doing and how I was doing it. <clears throat> and when I compared it to my, my cohorts in crime on the civilian sector, they weren't necessarily having the experience that, that I was. And it wasn't that I was playing with different products or anything like that. I was just doing things differently. And, uh, and I liked it. And each was a building experience. Uh, to answer your question, Mo, is, you know, when I moved from one duty station to another, each one, for whatever reason, we'll, we'll just say it was the luck of the draw, I had some unique experiences that just excited me to continue to build. Uh, and, and each time I moved, I was able to take on not only an expanded, I should say, healthcare position, but also a, somewhat of a leadership position within the healthcare team, both medicine and dentistry. And that excited me because I was, yeah. I was not in a solo practice. I was not all by myself. I was now in what you would call a, a worldwide group practice. And the contacts and people were interested in what I was doing, the kinds of people I was treating. And so it was just a very uh, exciting, and I said, I said, interactive opportunity, and, and learn at the same time. Cool. So earlier you mentioned, you know, uh, soldiers coming back from the combat field, but I'll, I'll touch on that later on because uh, I, I started thinking about a couple of questions that I have. It seems like you're talking about your early, early career within the military. So you became an officer, and I imagine that you went through officer school, just like the other services. So you no, no, that's that's even the best part of the whole story. Was <laughs> oh, I came right from Emory University Dental School and um, and got in the car and drove to Portsmouth and and showed up and they they sent me a piece of paper, told me where to go and buy a uniform and and I <laughs> from the from the instructions I had to put this thing together and uh -huh. and the first day I showed up, I mean I just kept on looking around. I didn't know 
what anything was. See, what was unique is... So you went from civilian, you had no transition from being no, a civilian to, be, to, to getting a commission or going through officer school. I, I didn't go to an officer school because... Oh my gosh. I got to remind you, you know, Ramon was Army, so they, they <laughs> need a little more hand-holding, well, what the, you oh, know? Oh, I, I understand. <laughs> you know? I, I understand that, you know, uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll keep this, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it censored so that we don't have to go through <laughs> it or anything of what I say. <laughs> so, edit that out. So, so, so the typical, the typical path into the military career is going into what we call OIS or officer indoctrination school. And the other school that they used to have is called OCS, which is mm-hmm. officer candidate school, two different schools. The officer uh, OIS is in is in Newport, Rhode Island, um, and it's 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 a month long. Uh, OCS was in Pensacola. It was kind of like a fast track crib note type thing that that they used. And typically, what would happen is is that during one of the summers of being in dental school, if you were on the scholarship program, uh, you would get the opportunity to to go to this officer indoctrination school. Or if you didn't have a chance to do that, right after you graduated from dental school, you could you would go to officer indoctrination school or officer candidate school. See, where I went to school at Emory, we went 12 months a year. So we had no summers. There were no breaks for us to go and, and do any of these things. And because I was going directly into a general practice residency, I mean, I graduated on May 16th and I started the... Um, uh, general practice residency program the, the first week in June. So there really was no way for me to fit into any of their standard uh, paths into the military. So, and I was not the only one. There are other, many other people that, mm-hmm. that this has happened. We, we as a service, we meaning when I was in active duty, I still consider myself just like you do, Ramon, unfortunately, thinking that you're lifelong army. We won't hold that against you, but, um, <laughs> but, but as as a as a, <laughs> as a, as a Navy lifer, um, I will say to you is that uh, I, I think we've we've made extreme changes to that system to make it more predictable, where mm-hmm. where we make sure people get the training uh, and indoctrination of what it's like to be a, a naval officer, as well as a, a naval officer being a healthcare profession or any or any profession that you are. So we do it a lot better now than than when I was there. A sidebar, please. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. You sent us your bio. I, w- I was looking at it, and it seems that the majority of your assignments in the military, they were all in land. Are you scared of the uh, the ships? Oh, you're so funny. No, so that's just wondering. You know, that's been a. It's really interesting that you should have know you that you noticed that because most people, it's not that way. I was fast tracked. By no, I should say, no decision on my part to be to avoid being on a ship or or on the sea in, in any capacity. Uh, in fact, that's what I wanted. But they had other plans for me. So, so when they started fast tracking me into uh, training, uh, every time they did that, uh, they limited the opportunities. And then when I when I had my maxillofacial fellowship uh, and and asked again. Uh, when can I go on a on a ship? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they made it quite clear we've expended too much money 
uh, on you. We need you where we need you, and, and that's going to be where the action is. So most of my career surrounds uh, large hospital institutions or educational institutions. Mm-hmm. You think of you think of uh, Portsmouth, San Diego, Bethesda, three of of our our largest medical facilities, um, and where we send most of our advanced care. Mm-hmm. Just by happenstance, that's 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 what happened. I mean, that, that's the yeah. truth of the matter. I, there, there was really no, there was no space for me to do what you would consider a, a rotation, a fun mm-hmm. rotation as a dentist on a on a ship. Um, so there, that was that's basically it. So, but so then, if I, I if I I didn't get to go a chance to go on the love boat. Yeah. So <laughs> so remote, but I'll explain this to remote. So in the <laughs> army. They just dig a hole and somebody jumps in the hole. Dr. Taft, specialist, maxillofacial, we're not just going to put you somewhere, they, they, you know. But leading into that, sorry about the, the whole army thing, Ramon. Yeah. You know, Ramon got in, they said, go, go dig a hole and we'll tell you what to do next. Um, but leading into that, you, you know, did you, so after your, your specialty training, was it, like you, was it limited in the areas that you can go? You know what I mean. Was it was it was it more teaching? Is that when you transitioned into teaching? No, no, no. Uh, well, I mean that that's it's it's a good observation. But what what happens is is that as your skill sets get refined, mm-hmm. they're going to put you in places where they get the most use of exactly. your skill set. Yeah. So the minute. I went into advanced restorative dentistry and then maxillofacial. Now that opened me up to treat all major trauma that yeah. that would come about. So where do they? So then they look at their structure and they say, okay, where do we treat most of our trauma? And most of our trauma is in large medical education mm-hmm. hospitals. Yeah. And so that's it. Didn't you know? It was it wasn't like there was an instruction mode that said, oh, we. Tap trained here, so therefore he can only go there. Can only go, yeah. The detailer that we call it is is the person that that kind of marries your desires with the needs of, in my case, the Navy. And because of the way things were building around the world, it seemed that uh, they always tended to focus me in these areas where my skill sets could be readily used, and that would be a yeah. hospital situation. Yeah. So that so, makes um, sense. So that's 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 how that happened. In many respects, uh, a lot of people don't like going into the field and the training that I had because they didn't want to be told they, that they needed to go to certain places. They wanted yeah. to have the freedom to go anywhere. And so I understand that. So that's that's one of the things when when I was prepping people interested in maxillofacial pros, for example, I made sure they understood the potential that yeah. that training would have. I mean, it's 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 an incredible opportunity when you think of what we drive and what we run uh, as far as within the Navy itself. I can speak for the Navy, but just that expertise, it's amazing. Very, very fulfilling, you know, personally as well as for the uh, the services that you provide to the warfighter or for any of our patients. Uh, but again, in, unless your mindset is there, uh, you may find that restrictive, yeah. which I did not. So basically, what you're saying is that if you're going to be a grunt dentist, they're going to send you on a boat. <laughs> well, if you're going to be a general dentist and you're going to stay a general dentist, yeah. your your opportunities are going to be wherever they have general dentists. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. but, um, and, that, and that could be anywhere in the world and, and on floating objects. Mm -hmm. um, but um, if you're going to be a, a specialist, uh, then you will you will be limited by the number of what we call positions or billets. Mm -hmm. and those are positioned throughout the entire world based on need. Yeah. Remember, mm -hmm. you know, now everything's a lot different because we have what we call in route care. We, we can transport people from the operational theater into these into hospitals a lot faster and quicker than we did in the past. In the past, I mean, you had hospitals, you know, like mass units being built, you know, things were being done in theater. Yeah. Now that isn't the case. Mm -hmm. So the specialty billets are not as widespread. <clears throat> That's any specialty in medicine or dentistry or subspecialties in, in medicine yeah. as well. It's all it's all the same. It's all based on how can I reduce the costs of moving people around? And that is from the, the patient perspective, mm -hmm. uh, but also from moving all these specialists around where if I can centralize them in key areas, then it's a, it's a, it's a much cleaner operation. So we, we mentioned Wilford, Wilford Hall Medical Center, uh, where you did your fellowship uh, for maxillofacial. We right. mentioned that a couple of times. When you're going through that training, are you working on patients from the military or the civilian? No, so uh, all military programs work on what we call active duty military and eligible beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. Don't work on civilians at all. Okay. So mm -hmm. when I say eligible beneficiaries, that means that because of the uniqueness, dependents might be able to be treated within the military arena if it meets an educational need. Mm -hmm. uh, and the same goes for a retiree. Otherwise, uh, your patients would be active duty. Okay. okay. So yes, that's that's that is you know the reason uh, I should say that the that our country supports military health education is because the offset is is that we're internalizing the cost of that care mm -hmm. compared to what they'd have to pay in the in the um, civilian sector. But the other thing. That's interesting to note is that there are unique military injuries, both medical and dental, that civilian training programs may not necessarily have the opportunity to see. And when we start comparing people that came into the to the military from civilian training programs versus military training programs, we found that in a number of instances, especially when we were in the um, the wartime environment, the active wartime environment, a steeper learning curve for those that were trained in incredibly great civilian programs yeah. compared to those that were trained in our military uh, institutions that would see some of these injuries on a routine basis. Mm -hmm. So since we're, since we're speaking about wartime cases, you were in Bethesda. It seems like you spend a, a lot of time in Bethesda <laughs> and so you have so <laughs> so you do have a lot of experience uh, also working with with casualties yes. uh, from the war, and obviously these are all soldiers, sailors and airmen. Yes, sailors and uh, <laughs> military personnel. <laughs> do you get to see? I, I mean, there had to be a lot of uh, a lot of casualties that were coming through Bethesda, and even when I went there a couple of times when when I first met you. I mean, you do see a lot of uh, a lot of military personnel uh, with so many different injuries, 
and it's well, it's, it's difficult to 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 see them like that when you're not used to it. Well, you're um, but you're, you're dealing with them every day. You're absolutely right, Ramon. You know, if there's two ways of looking at it, and and I will tell you when when the war on terrorism started picking up, and mm -hmm. we were seeing more and more of these injured war fighters. Let's just call them war fighters to make it easy rather than trying to distinguish <laughs> yeah. what what branch come from. <laughs> yeah. um, even though we know very few are probably army, but um, <laughs> I'm teasing. But anyway, um, when you think of it, you know, as this started ramping up, most of the work that we were doing was remotely, digitally. I mean, we were making some incredible progress. And then when I would see them, it would be in the operating room it's like no other operating room experience. It's, it's just, it's very, it's, it's the same, but different. But as the numbers and numbers and the types of casualties that we're getting created uh, an opportunity for these warfighters to not only get treated immediately, but the large part of the rehabilitation was on the, at the time, National Naval Medical Center, uh, Bethesda campus, which is now Walter Reed National Military Medical Center, mm -hmm. um, same same basic idea. You at, at first you're like, oh my goodness, and you're so you're so concerned, and your heart is just ripped out, and and you just feel for these young young people, men, women, just incredible people with these these injuries that are just amazing. And yet their morale and their spirit is second to none. It's almost mm -hmm. embarrassing that you would go home and complain that it took you 15 minutes longer to go home because the person in front of you was driving like they were drunk. Where, where these people were missing major parts of their body, their, an eye, you know, you know, half of their face, whatever the case may be. And yet they're cracking jokes. They're, they're going down the, the corridors on gurneys or whatever the mm -hmm. case is, wheelchairs automated type devices it, it was inspiring and and that you, you talked about you know, you know why did you stay on that was another experience that when i saw this it was like gee, I, I didn't want to get away from it, mm -hmm. it so incredible they were i was doing as much for them as they were for me and they become lifelong connections uh not only because of the work that we did for them in the follow-up care but just from the heart these people were just incredible and, uh, and I thank God every day for that experience. And it helped make me who I am today, for good or for bad. Well, thank you for that service. Thank you for your service. That is that is impressive. Um, I think that lets a lot of people out there know that uh, that are listening to that. That's that's pretty powerful stuff right there. So. Well, you know, it's it's Mo, it's 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 very interesting. You know, we purposely attended our religious services in the hospital to be with all of these war fighters that were injured were there. They, uh, we, we did everything in our power to, to stay connected. Uh, they would be, you know, doing these interesting types of rehabilitative uh, sports outside. Uh, they built a, an incredible track that was, that was made distinctly for uh, these like tricycles that people that had no limbs could then use and still get exercise. It was just, it was just incredible to be a part of that team. And it, you became a very, very close family. That's amazing. It is. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I think one of the things is that these are all kids or these were all kids uh, that are coming through there. The majority Absolutely. are. 
Yeah. You're, you're looking on the average of 22 to 26 wow. in age. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. to say that there weren't uh, people that were, had, um, were older, but the majority yeah. were between 22 and 26. Amazing. You know, have, Ramon's going to start crying here in a minute. I can tell by his voice. <laughs> That's powerful. No, it's, 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 that is powerful. It's, it's powerful that, is, that what yeah. you're saying. And and that was my other, the other question that I wanted to ask you, uh, because so you're running the school, right, at this time in, in Bethesda back then. Yes, I was. And, the, well, I yes, I held a couple of positions during this transition. Uh, mm-hmm. They were all at all in Bethesda in the, the complex. But yes, at this at this particular time that you're focusing on right now, I was the dean of the Naval Postgraduate Dental School, and and also that's when we realigned uh, both medical and dental commands to uh, what we call medical health commands, and the hospital got connected to the dental school. So I was also the director of dental services while the dean as well, and that and that put me responsible for all of the dentistry being done in the, um, I should say, the, the D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Northern Virginia area. So mm-hmm. that was my position, yes. And so pretty much everyone then that is, is going through the school at this time is is getting an opportunity also to work with these heroes, right? Absolutely. To help them out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. At, 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 at many different levels. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, pain management, uh, you know, the, I should say advanced restorative care, as well as the maxillofacial, as it relates to being a part of the expanded healthcare team to develop devices to help them with being able to accommodate to some sports equipment. I mean, we were making a, we were designing and making a lot of complex type, uh, one of a kind prostheses so that, so that people who didn't have their hands could, could actually work. Uh, and, and do things. Uh, it's it's just amazing. We built um, a small transitional. I sh- what's the word I want to call it? Like, almost like a slipper that people that had uh, leg replacements mm-hmm. uh, could put on and and be able to sleep without bumping into things. It's there's just a lot of a lot of ingenuity that went into uh, that is amazing supporting this this team. How how was the transition? You know, all of us that served. There, there's always that, that, that period. Some people take a lot longer. Some it's the next day they're ready. They're, they've already converted over. How was that transition from military to the civilian sector? Like, did you go into private practice or did you go directly into educational, um, environment? Um, so, it um, just, I, I'm just curious seeing the, 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 I can only imagine the, the emotions, the, the adrenaline of taking care of our warfighters. You know what I mean? Did you, was there a time where you, you're like, okay, wait a minute, what am I doing now? Once you transition over, like, like, what was that like? Yeah. So, so Mo, it's a, it's a good question for me again. Remember I talk everything that I, that's happened to me has been fast tracked. So mm-hmm. you know, I retired on a Friday and started at UT San Antonio on Monday. So wow. it was only the weekend. <laughs> no vacation. <laughs> in, in that day, in, and that weekend was driving from Bethesda to to San Antonio. <laughs> wow! So, um, okay. so there really was no no room for um, second guessing or anything like that. But yeah. but the unique thing. So my rationale for there's lots of things that went into picking where my post military professional life was going to be. 
but San Antonio is the largest military training area in the world. Mm-hmm. So um, with my credentials and how I structured how I, what I was going to be doing in San Antonio, I was going to be involved with all that I was involved before through the Military Health Institute, which is a part mm-hmm. of UT Health San Antonio. So, so everything... You know, the very thing that you were talking about, Mo, I kind of built into my transition. Nothing, I still was working with, in addition, mm-hmm. I was working with the same people I did before. Yeah. Uh, and uh, although I, the direct care that I was providing was to the civilians, the indirect care I was providing now was still to all of the, the war fighters, uh, mm-hmm. whether it be through training, other military providers on what I've done and learned so they can do it or are just working with them through their treatment plans for the patients. So it's, yeah. it's, it's been a great transition for me. Nothing is ever seamless, although we tend to use that word a lot. Yeah. I would say to you, I, I, I didn't have as many bumps in the road that some others have had yeah. when they transition out of military life into a civilian but I think it's that preparation because it sounds like you were prepared. You had a plan. You know what I mean? I think any anyone listening out there that's on that same path, the sooner they prepare and instead of waiting until they cross that finish line to figure out what you're going to do next. I, I think that's, you know, really good advice for, um, for the folks to listen to. Oh, I, see, I, I, uh, I, 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 preparation is the key to who we are, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, as a dentist, especially as a prosthodontist, Maxillofacial prosthodontist, you know, diagnosis is key, and the actual plan or treatment plan is is also most important. The things around how we do things may change. Yeah, cars that we drive now are different than the cars that we drove before. The ammunition that is being used today is different than the ammunition before. So there are certain things that will change, but there are certain things that that won't. But the one thing that I'd say to you that is has benefited me through through mentors mentoring me is is planning ahead yeah. and um and so um, i never ever did anything and made it about me that's the other thing i've always told people when people ask me or younger people ask me no oh, you know you know how how did everything happen for you and and, and i said oh, i learned early on in life is that you should never make it ever about yourself you should always make it about the team or make mm-hmm. it about the patient or whatever the case may be so that your decisions are always in the best interest of the team or the patient treating the team treating the patient. And that has, I, I, I believe, has, has helped me prepare uh, as I moved on from the military into civilian. I carry the same thought process forward. Dr. Taft, I'd like to go back to the battlefield wounds. How does that change dentistry? You mentioned before, it's very different dealing with our heroes and their wounds and the restorations that you're creating in different ways than what it is in the civilian world. So I imagine that maybe there are certain things that you did, your team did at that time, and maybe did you learn things from what was happening then that maybe change dentistry in certain ways? Well, Well, one is I would tell you just the evolution of dentistry itself in the healthcare system is now becoming more of a, of an equal partner of the treatment team. Mm-hmm. You know, medicine has, has generated, they're, they're the big elephant in the, in the room, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, and, 
And that's not, not unique to military. It's in the world we live in today. But the one thing that I have found, and I think the world is finding, is that uh, the old philosophy on treatment by a general practitioner, you know, physician, a general dentist, a standalone nurse, or wh- whatever the case is, mm-hmm. it is no longer the philosophy of the future, that everything is about an expanded treatment team. What was unique in the military is that we had, again, when we started going into the war on terrorism, we were seeing injuries that we had not seen before. And we had made advances in healthcare that prolonged life uh, much more than you saw in World War One or, or even World War Two. So now, mm-hmm. now you're sitting, you have the opportunity to extend one's life. And when you're extending people's life, you're now doing things to um, impact not only pain, but quality of life. So we're getting into more advanced bone grafting, skin grafts, dental implants became a more of a, I would say to you, a mode of treatment that helped improve the quality of life from these people after we've done these major rehabilitations, you know, whether it be facial or whether it be just oral or a combination of both. So I, I want to speak to the fact is that it's not only the military has, in my mind, has helped expand the need for dentistry as a major player in the healthcare team, but we're seeing it throughout the entire world that that's what's happening. So mm-hmm. the military has given me personally and the people around me kind of a, a fast track. Again, I'll use that terminology uh, to having to learn to do these things. Uh, we didn't have the time. You know, people were coming in faster than we could ever imagine. It was like it was like watching MASH on TV. Uh, but now, uh, instead of just saving one's life and calling it a victory, we're looking at improving their quality or restoring their quality of life, which is a much longer term commitment mm-hmm. that was not done in the past. Does that make sense? I mean, that's, yeah. that makes sense. No, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dr. Taff, I think we're, we're having a really good conversation. Uh, I'm learning a lot uh, about what has happened in the military, what the experiences are in the dental field with the military. I don't know if you... If we would rather uh, have a second part with you, I'd love to have you back and, and continue the conversation with you. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm happy. We'd be honored to be a part of your program. It's hard to codify in any small amount of time mm-hmm. uh, the impact of what we're talking about. People yeah. who, who are willing to give their life to protect their country or stand up for beliefs that, that we all take for granted, uh, not in a negative way, but we just, I mean, just like if you're in Southern California and the sun shines every day, you don't appreciate the sun as much as say someone that might be in, in the Northwest where the sun comes out just a little bit, you know, do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So <laughs> that we appreciate the ability to, to drive a car or go someplace yeah. or make a decision on our own are things that we really earn. And, Having the opportunity to be a part of that that mechanism has been an incredible honor for me. So we could go on for hours, and I'm happy to do it as many times as you want. And you can focus me in the areas uh, that you want me to focus on, and I'll just give you my honest experience uh, and perception. This Thank is, you this so much for joining us today. <laughs> okay. The the only thing that I uh, I think one of the things that we want to learn next time, and you don't don't answer now. We're going to leave it for next time is we'd like to know how many foxholes you got to dig 
uh, in your military career. So ah, here's the army <laughs> guy again. Ah. The army guy. The they, army guy. I've been wanting they, to ask that question for about an hour now. So they don't have we'll the find out next time. The specialists don't do the. You know <laughs> what do we say about using the resources in their in their appropriate <laughs> location? Well, you know, I, I, I have to say, <laughs> you know, I have to say. You know, in response, Ramon, for you to kind of think about this from your What's a foxhole? No. no. The foxhole, yes, because you think, let's go back. What 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 was the point of a foxhole? Was it protection? A place for protection. You yeah, protection. Okay, so Cover. so we can we can talk about digging foxholes even if you're in an administrative job and you're trying to figure out how can I position myself so that I'm able to deflect all the, I should say, the incoming. And it's not necessarily <laughs> incoming explosives that are going to blow my eyes out. <laughs> incoming, you all know what I mean by oh, incoming. Yes. Oh, I'm yeah. sure, I'm yes. sure in your jobs that yes. you have many incomings. <laughs> the, the foxhole has very many, many different meanings. You're That's right. exactly right. You are right. Exactly right. But, so, but anyway, this yes, is great. I appreciate the opportunity. Again, I think the world of you all and, um, and anything I can do to contribute to this effort, I'd be glad to do. Awesome. awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Doctor, thank you very much and uh and and, and have a good night. All right, you do as well. Right. Good to hear. Good to see you both. And yes. uh and I, I look forward to hearing from you soon. Awesome. And we'll see you soon. Thank All you. Right. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Freaking awesome.